Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we gather on a Sunday morning and acknowledge now in ourselves and even then before you who we are, where we hurt, what we hope. For each of us, it's probably different. Some of us are asking the the big questions about life, our own lives. Questions about meaning and purpose. Questions about faith and you. Some of us know profound joys that we'd love to share and others carry real sadness that we don't want to talk about. I ask that as each of us now gather around the Word, the Bible, from, from the unique places that we are, you, you would meet all of us you would meet all of us and speak a word into each of our lives and draw us out, draw us into the kind of people you want us to be individually, the kind of people you want all of us to be together, the kind of people the world is in desperate need to experience. So speak, Lord. Your children listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you don't mind, I'm going to just get right after it uh, this morning. Uh, Two statements offered by Jesus to one man on one occasion, one man in a world of hurt. One man who had come to the end of the rope, the end of the line, who'd hit the bottom, who'd hit the wall. Jesus says to him, son... Your sins are forgiven. That's the first statement. The second is, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. Two statements, one man who had reached bottom. Uh, But first, I have a question for you. Have you ever come to the end of the rope? You know what what I mean by that? You You ever come to the end of the line... You hit the wall, you hit bottom. You don't know where to go, you don't know where to turn, you don't know what to do. I I guess I'm wondering, have you ever been in that place of desperation? I don't mean your whole life is miserable, I just mean like at least a part of your life. No matter how capable you think you are, you've come to the end of your capacity. Desperate, it's indiscriminate, you know? Rich or poor, regardless of color, age, or gender, desperation finds all of us. Have you been in that spot? I'm wondering about the relationship between desperation and faith. 
we like to think of faith as this uh, sort of inner confidence, uh, this, this sort of unseen strength that gets you through the day, this kind of moxie, smile on your face. You can do it. You've got faith. And it's probably true. It's probably right. That's probably an expression of faith. But I'm wondering about what, what about weakness? What about vulnerability? What about desperation? Can that be an expression of faith? Or maybe you don't want to go there on January 12th. Maybe you're still working on your New Year's resolution. Should I skip on to some happier stuff? I'm thinking about Alan Carey. 30 years ago, had knee surgery, was given blood tainted with hepatitis C. They've been managing it for decades, but hep C has been ravaging his liver. And now, on Tuesday, surgery, needed a donor, required a perfect match. They're grateful today. They're at peace now, moving into surgery. But for a while, it was desperation. I'm thinking about my friends Scott and Jane. Five-year-old grandson out east with seizure activity, had surgery on Friday to remove the part of the brain that was, they thought, causing the seizures. Surgery went great, but for a while, a five-year-old grandson, that's desperation. I'm thinking about the young parents with the infant child. He's so cute, he's so sweet, he's so great, and everybody loves him, but you're up late at night, and you're exhausted, and you're fatigued, and you're confused, and it kind of feels like desperation. I'm thinking about the parents of teenagers. Do I need to say any more? <laughs> and I'm thinking about the teenagers who are saying, sure, pastor, you're sitting there saying, sure, pastor, make a joke at my expense. You know what it's like to be me? My life is graded on a curve by a 10th grade math teacher who I'm not sure passed algebra himself, <laughs> trying to post pictures on Instagram that make it look like I care, but I really don't care, hoping I'll get the right amount of smiles and the right amount of hearts and the right amount of ILYs in just the right amount of time, all the while mom and dad are telling me to get off my phone and get onto the homework so I can feed the performance machine. They're like mosquitoes in July. Or, 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 or flies on a, at the beach on a, on a day without wind. I just, you can swat and you can slap and they just won't leave me alone. It feels like desperation. And not just the, can, shall I, can I keep going? Is that okay? It's not just the stuff of my life. By the way, that previous example is extremely autobiographical. <laughs> It's not just the stuff of my life or your life or, or even the stuff. You, it's, what about our world? An Iranian general is taken out. Twelve ballistic missiles go off. And for at least an evening, the whole world was wondering, what's going to happen next? My kids were asking, is this World War III, Daddy? Sounds like desperation. And Australia, we've already prayed about it. And Puerto Rico, and Syria, and nobody talks about Yemen. Why? Why is nobody talking about Yemen? It feels like desperation. What's the relationship 
between desperation and faith. The Heidelberg Catechism, you heard of this? No. Oh, okay. The Heidelberg Catechism was a, was a teaching tool of the Reformed tradition to help raise our children in the way of the Christian faith. It has a question, what is true faith? It defines faith as a certain knowledge, some things are true, and some things aren't. <laughs> and if you're like 30 years old or younger, we can talk about what that means. And a wholehearted trust. I'm one, does, does trust have to look like a smile on your face with your shoulders strapped back and your head held high? Can faith look like weakness? Can faith show up as vulnerability? Can faith and desperation mix? I want you to listen with a story. Listen with me to a story. It's a story of faith, I think. It's a story of desperation, I'm sure. It's probably both. We can decide together. Uh, when he returned to Capernaum after some, he, Jesus, when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, even at the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Just then, uh, some people came, bringing a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was standing, and after having dug through it, they lowered him on the mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now the scribes who were there began questioning in their hearts, Who does this fellow think he is? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were raising questions, and he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he got up and immediately took his mat and went out from among them. All who saw it were amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. You're welcome to find it in a Bible near you. It would probably be helpful, actually. I just want to center ourselves around these two statements offered to one man in a world of hurt. Son, your sins are forgiven. That's verse 5. And then stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. That's verse 11. I'm trying to get my, my heart and head inside the, the paralyzed man and his friends. What does it feel like? What are they thinking? What are they doing? Jesus has just come 
uh, back to Capernaum, a sort of beachside town on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, seagulls and sandals and beach in the air. He's at, he's at home. That's what it says. I didn't realize Jesus had a home. I thought the Son of Man had no place to lay his head, but apparently he's at home. I'm thinking it's probably the home of Mary and Joseph. He's at his mom's house. That's what it says. He's, he's at his home. 30 people. I don't know how big the house was. 40 people. 50 people. There's so many people. They're crowded in the house. There's so many people. You can't even see inside from the doorway. And they, they bring this paralyzed man. There's a crowd of them. Only four of them are holding the stretcher. Mark says, when he saw their faith, I guess it is, it is faith to think that maybe, just maybe, if I can get close enough to Jesus, he'd heal my friend. I'm also thinking it's desperation. It's faith to bring the man to Jesus. It's desperation to cut a hole in the house of the mother of God and lower him down to, so that he, he could be seen. That's desperation. And where desperation and faith meet, Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. He says, Stand up, take your mat, walk. I just want to walk through those two statements. Uh, Jesus says, Son, he calls him Son, <laughs> Boy, Child, Tender One, uh, Precious One, Beloved One, Daughter. He's using the language of election. Basically saying, son of Abraham, son of Isaac, son of Jacob. Basically he's saying, son of God, you're mine. You belong to me. Son, child. When, 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 if you know desperation, if you've been in desperation, the tendency is to hurry about and scurry around, do more, get more done, network, call people, work harder, check on WebMD, become a doctor overnight just because you went on a website, do all of these things which are fine. I'm not picking on anybody for any of them, but before any of those actions, remember who you are. Son, daughter, child, beloved, son of the living God. That's who you are. So I, I, uh, this is a little funny to me. I was working on this sermon, this very sermon, uh, this week, if you can imagine that. And I started thinking, I was thinking about the paralyzed man and Jesus saying, son, calling him my child. And I'm thinking about identity in the midst of desperation. Identity, it's who you are, it's not what you do. And I, I was, this all just sounds kind of familiar to me. When was the last time I preached on identity? So I scoured my files, which actually don't exist. The last time, I, you want to know the last time I preached this very phrase, remember who you are? I don't expect any of you to remember it. The, la the last time I preached, the, anybody remember the last time I preached, remember who you are? Was the last time I preached. It was. It was sort of embarrassing to me. I'm getting all worked up in the room back here, typing away. Oh, man, this is going to be awesome. I think, that sounds familiar to me. Oh, yeah, I preached it last week. <laughs> which either means I'm eisegeting my own life into the story, which always happens, by the way. I do it every Sunday. This is the most vulnerable act of the week for me. Or I've lost my creative edge. 
and you're thinking to yourself, what creative edge? <laughs> or the Spirit of God put it on my heart so that it would land on your heart. You're a child of God. You belong to Christ. That's who you are. Or, and, the Bible itself repeats the same thing over and over and over again so that you won't leave this place without being assured of who you are. That's who you are. You belong to Christ. Son, child, precious one, tender one, beautiful one, my beloved. In the midst of desperation, I'm thinking about the college student whose future plans came crumbling down over Christmas break. Grad school said not yet, and you weren't sure anyway, but everybody keeps asking, what are you going to do after graduation? And it feels like desperation. Remember who you are. I'm thinking of the freshman. Freshman now turning into second semester. All of the influences of the last three or four months have converged on your life, and you're sort of spinning and wondering, who am I? Let me, let me help you. You belong to Christ. That's who you are. To the man in the midst of desperation, Jesus says, Son, your sins. What a colossal exercise in missing the point. They bring the paralyzed man to Jesus. He's worried about the condition of his body. Jesus is worried about the state of his soul. They bring him to him because he can't walk. Jesus starts talking about sin. <laughs> Everybody's favorite topic. He starts talking about your, your heart, your sins, your son, your sins. Which suggests to me, and I'll just offer to you, maybe, maybe Jesus Christ is not just interested in how well you live. Maybe he's interested in the condition of your spirit. Maybe justification matters. In other words, maybe forgiveness matters. We spend so much time, as well we should, thinking about how we live and how, how uh, our, our thriving lives. And we work really hard to make sure other people are thriving too. That's like compassion, kindness, generosity, benevolence. All of those things are good and right, but the gospel of Christ cares more about just your life. Jesus Christ died to save, to redeem, to restore he says to him, son, your sins. At a certain point, at some point, this is, I'm not just trying to make people feel bad about, you know, walk around feeling terrible, your sins. But at, a, at, a, at some point, you have to be honest with yourself about yourself and our world. Son, daughter, child, Beloved one, precious one, tender one, your sins. I got a Christmas present that I absolutely loved. I brought it because uh, you're going to love it too. Uh, I won't tell you who it's from because I didn't ask their permission. 50% of the time I ask for permission before I share people's stories on Sunday morning. <laughs> I was a bag of coffee uh, from a, com uh, a coffee company called Reformed Roasters. <laughs> 
the, the, the line of coffee, the blends, are based on the five uh, points of doctrine in the canons of Dort. Do, do you know the uh, Reformed Roasters? Uh, the fi- you know the five points of doctrine in the canons of Dort. Uh, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints, or preservation of the saints, depending on how reformed you actually are. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Jenna got one, uh, too. She got, so of the, there's five blends, uh, of the five points of doctrine, which, which bag, which blend do you suppose Pastor Jenna got? Irresistible grace. Ha, 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 ha. Guess which one I got? Total depravity. <laughs> yeah, right. Total depravity blend. From the blackness of my cup arise the fetid vapors of sin. Must I taste its darkened brew? How I savor thee, a seed more true. Every morning I get to pour myself a cup of total depravity. <laughs> Embraced by the warmth of my sin. Opportunity to consider my own inadequacies. And all of it invitation to rejoice. God in Jesus Christ has taken my total depravity, and frankly, no offense, yours too, given it back to us as righteousness and holiness and goodness and virtue and kindness and compassion. That's right. I'll give myself an amen, amen. In the midst of the desperation, son, your sins are forgiven. Believe that and realize what a stunning claim it is. Should I turn it backwards or you want to see it? I don't know about this. I'll put it here. But what a stunning, your sins are forgiven? The next time you're invited into an opportunity to forgive, consider how dangerous that claim is. <laughs> your sins are forgiven. The scribes knew exactly what was going on. No one forgives sins but God alone. And they start, how did Jesus perceive it? He perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these things in their hearts. And he, he raises the bar. He, ra- he starts throwing down claims. Jesus doesn't back down from a fight. Meek, mild, gentle Jesus goes after it. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up, take your mat and walk, but so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth. Jesus Christ refers to himself as the Son of Man, which is an incredible designation to claim for yourself. The Son of Man shows up first in the book of Daniel. Daniel, who was being ruled by an awful king, Daniel from Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel had a dream. He had a bunch of dreams. And in the dream, he saw a human sitting on a throne, which was a direct threat to the awful king who was ruling in Babylon at the time. Daniel saw a human on a throne who didn't concede to the ways of sin and the passions of the flesh. And in that way, it was sort of a God, kind of a God-man. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, this God-man. Jesus says, I am that man. I am that one. I'm the God-man. I'm the one where eternity and time mix. I'm the one where infinity and the limited reality, realities of creatureliness come together. I'm the one in whom the divine and the human show up. I'm the Son of Man. The Son of God becomes the Son of Man so that we might become children of God. Jesus doesn't back down. 
He took on flesh. He became one among us. He became the son. He, he, he commingles heaven and earth so that not only does he have the authority to forgive sins, to redeem us and restore us and to make us right before the living God, but also on earth to threaten every political power that exists that is opposite or contrary to his person and purposes. To show up in a day and say to a man, stand up and walk. Not just for eternity's sake, but for now too. Stand up and walk. Get up now. I'm the Son of Man. In the midst of desperation, not only remember who you are, remember who He is. He's the one. He's the righteous one. He's the holy one. He's the true one. He's the overcomer. He's the one to whom we go when we know, don't know where else to go. And this co-mingling of heaven and earth, he says to the man, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. Uh, so we're going to be walking through the Gospel of Mark for the next several months, all the way up till Easter. I don't know if we can do this, but I think I'm going to try to print the Bible passages that, from which I'll be preaching or someone will be preaching over the next several months on, on our website. So just follow along. All, all week long, you can read through the Gospel of Mark and come ready. On, I, don't, I think we could probably do it. And then also, if you're looking for a traveling partner along the way, Mark for Everyone by N.T. Wright. It's a, basically a commentary. We'll give you a link online for that too. We're going to walk through the Gospel of Mark. And as we do, we're going to come across all kinds of healing narratives. Uh, lepers will be cleansed. The lame will walk. The blind will see. Even the dead will be raised. And the tendency and the temptation whenever you come across a healing narrative is to ask, what are we going to ask? Why not now? Why not here? Why not me? Why not my child, my spouse, my friend? They're really good questions. They're important questions. They need to be asked. They deserve to be asked. And I hope you have a people with whom you can ask them. And if you don't feel like you do, email me and let's get together. When you come across these healing narratives, let me, let me just offer this. The, the healing narratives in the Bible are never about the person who's healed. It's not about the lucky few who get chosen while the rest are left to suffer. And it's not about how well you pray and if you just believed enough and if you said the right words and just, at just the right pace, at just the right time, with just the right tone of voice, and if you had just enough people who were agreeing with you in that prayer, then it would happen. Healing narratives are not about the one who's healed. They're about the one who heals. You don't, did you notice? You don't even know the name of the man, the paralyzed man. Never know his name. We walk away, and they glorified God. That's the point. That's what it's about. In the desperation, remember who he is. Everyone in the Bible and in human history who has ever been healed, except maybe one or two people in the Bible who somehow just got taken up, every one of them 
died. Healing is not about the person being healed. In a certain way, you can kind of make the case healing actually only opens us to a different kind of suffering. Healing is that we might know and actually believe Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is the commingling. Jesus is the mix. Jesus is the one. So that whether desperation is our reality or hope is in our hearts, whether pain is the day or joy is the season, Jesus is the one. When they saw this, they were amazed and glorified God. That's the point. That's why. So we're going to come to the table on the way, since I've been borrowing from the canons of Dort. How about this uh, from John Calvin? We see that our whole salvation and all its parts are comprehended in Christ. We should therefore take care not to derive the least portion of it from anywhere else. If we seek salvation, we're taught by the very name of Jesus, it is of him. If we seek any other gifts of the Spirit, they will be found in his anointing. If we seek strength, it lies in his dominion. If purity in his conception, if gentleness, it appears in his birth. If we seek redemption, it lies in his passion. If acquittal in his condemnation, if remission of the curse in his cross, if satisfaction in his sacrifice, if purification in his blood, if reconciliation in his descent into hell, if mortification of the flesh in his tomb, if newness of life in his resurrection, if immortality in the same, if inheritance of all blessings in his kingdom, if untroubled expectation of judgment and the power given to him to judge, in short, since rich store of every kind of good abounds in him, let us drink our fill from this fountain and from no other. That's the point. Let us drink our fill from this fountain, from this fountain, and from no other. Amen? Let's pray together. Holy and right it is. And a gift that we get to praise and bless you, O God. You, God, who give, you who take away, we bless the name of the Lord. Receive our faith as it gets expressed, not just with a smile and a confident word and a sure stride. Receive our expressions of faith when they show up in weakness, when we've hit the end of the line, when we've hit bottom when we don't know where else to go, receive that as faith. And Lord, we have faith. We, we offer this to you because you're the one who comes to us. You, you've shown us the fullness of love by sending into the world your Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal Word, the Son of Man, made flesh for us and for our salvation. So for the precious gift of the Savior, we praise and bless you, O God. And with your whole church on earth and all the company of heaven, we worship and adore your glorious name, singing together.
we're at this table, the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. And in the joy of his resurrection and in the expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you. We offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices. Together, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. So send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be to us communion with the body and blood of Christ. And grant that, being joined together in him, we may attain to the unity of the faith. We might be one. Even as the grapes are gathered from many hills into one cup and the grains from many fields into one loaf, grant, O Lord, that your whole church would soon be gathered from the ends of the earth, Australia and Puerto Rico and Iran and Iraq and Holland and Zealand and Sagatuck into your kingdom. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. I want you to remember who you are. You are a beloved child of God, loved so much that the night on which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it, and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Remember that. And then in the same way, he took the cup and he poured it out saying, this is the new promise. This is the new way. This is the way it's going to be from now on. In my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So whenever we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we proclaim the death of our Lord until he comes again. If you believe that Jesus is Lord and you acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome at this table. If you're not there, if that's not where you're at, I don't want you to feel pressure or any sort of awkwardness. You're welcome to come forward and simply, if you'd rather not receive communion, simply greet those who are serving at stations and then we'll all return to our seats by way of the outside aisle. There'll be two stations here in the front for the front half of the sanctuary, two on the far sides for the back half of the sanctuary, and a station in the narthex for those in the balcony. If those who are prepared to serve communion could join me here.